Now we're going to go to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to finish chapter 13, and there's a few things in chapter 13 that we're going to happen upon that I've already mentioned that we're, was going to happen. But also we're going to discover just a few things that though we may have knew only in passing, we may now realize when we're reading the text in clarity. Amen? Uh, let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word tonight. We pray, God, that as we study your word, your spirit, your spirit would reveal to us all truth, that you would teach us, admonish us, correct us, and train us, that we might be fully furnished for every good work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm not used to having a microphone sitting in front of my face on a stand, so you're going to forgive me. I'm not going to use it. <laughs> it's easier to hold it. I can look around and move like that. Now, karma would get mad, but I can move this way and that way too, okay? <laughs> Let's read uh, verse 14 through 18. We're really only studying five verses tonight. We're finishing this chapter. I, I could have, I guess, jumped into the next chapter, but there's so much that goes on in the next chapter. I didn't want to mesh the two together, okay? Uh, but verse 14, And the Lord said unto Abram, After Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and unto thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise and walk through the land in the length and the breadth of it. For I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed hence his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and builded an altar there unto the Lord. Now I want to, before I go into an exegesis of this four or five verses here, just on the plain reading of the text, what strikes me as a New Testament believer, okay? This isn't an exegesis of what was happening then or what God was saying then. And it may very well, God may very well have had us in mind, and we know he did when he's making this statement. But Abram didn't know that we were the ones he was talking about, amen? But this is definitely in view here. And I wanted to remind you of a New Testament portion of this Abrahamic promise, okay? And I think everybody probably knows where I'm going with this. <clears throat> and after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. 
of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts fell down before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. You see, us New Testament believers, we understand that when God is reading here, and in case you wanted to know where that was, I, you know it's in Revelation, right? I'll give you the I'll give you the address. I've, I didn't close the book, but I'll give you the address. Revelation chapter seven, starting at verse nine. But we, as New Testament believers, who have come to know Christ and are counted in that multitude of people, when we read verse sixteen, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth then shall thy seed also be numbered and this is a part of Abraham's promise that God gave him at the beginning of this chapter where he told him that I will make your name great I will I will all nations of the earth will be blessed by you. Amen. We understand this when we read it. And I'm just going to flip right back here real quick to Revelations. You don't have to, okay? I'm going to go back to Revelation. Because this great multitude is said to be a multitude which no man could number. And the reason that this is tied so inextricably in my New Testament thinking back to this is because of the way God spoke to Abram here in verse 16 where he says I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man could count the dust of the earth he said if a man could count the dust of the earth because the sheer impossibility of man being able to count the dust of all the earth surely applies here amen he's he's telling you emphatically your 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 people the the lineage that's coming from you is going to be so vast that you cannot count it amen and then in christ we know that we're heirs to the promises of abraham amen we're heirs and joint heirs with jesus christ to the promises of god to abraham Amen. What was the promise to Abram? I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, he could number thy seed. And immediately I thought of Revelation 7. I beheld a multitude which no man could number. Those are Abraham's children. Amen. 
the sheer dedication that God has to the line of Abram, to the line of Jacob, to the line of Seth, to the line of David is unimaginable. This God who keeps his promises time and time and time and time again, yet we just can't believe him when he says, if any man believes in the Son, he has everlasting life. Amen? Now, I know that has nothing to do with this, and I told you beforehand, before we get into the exegesis of this scripture, what it made me think of. And that's exactly what it made me think of when I read it, is Revelation chapter 7. Just right off the top, right off the, that's just the cream on the top of this verse, okay? I'm giving you the good stuff right at the beginning. I know that's not normal, but it really hit me hard when I read it. Amen? Uh but getting back to the text, I want to start here at verse 14. It says, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. I want to read to you a, a note from uh, two of my study Bibles, the King James Version Study Bible from Holman and the ESV study Bible have a note on this and I wanted to read them because there's a lot of uh, good information in here and after I went and studied the information that's in the notes out I thought man this is great I need to share this amen uh, verse uh, 14 through 15 this is the King James version says when Abram gave parts of Canaan to Lot in the land for peace for a peace deal, it threatened to undo God's earlier promises to Abram, promise that he was given in uh, Genesis 12 and 7. But God's promises could not be thwarted by Abraham's actions. This is a very important statement in this note, okay? Because Job 42 and 2 says that we know our God sits in heaven and no plan of his can be thwarted. Amen? No plan of God's can be thwarted. Amen? Doesn't matter that your free will can't mess it up. Your stubborn heart can't mess it up. Amen? God's plan cannot be thwarted. Amen? Now, that being said, Human beings can make some very dumb decisions that have very real consequences. Can I get an amen? <laughs> that is part of having a free moral agency. Amen? Now, when we use the word free, we're using that word free will with quotation marks. Amen? Because there's no will that's absolutely free because that's what most people think of when they think of free will I have a, a free will that's not acted upon by anything good or anything evil I'm just neutral well that's not true nobody's will is neutral either your will is bent towards sin and destruction or your will is bent towards Christ amen now when you come to Christ 
and you've been given this new heart and this new mind, they all want to go towards God. But this flesh still wants to go the other way. Can I get an amen? <laughs> that, that is the truth. Amen. So when we use the word free will, I don't want you to think of autonomous will because nobody's will is neutral. Nobody has a will that just says, oh, I could, I could do good right now or I could do bad right now. That's true. You could do good or evil right now. You sure could. That, that part of free will exists, okay? But it's skewed when we act like that's just the only thing operating in free will because our free wills are bound. Jesus said it, right? You either... Uh, you either serve God or you serve Satan. Amen. That's what your will is going to serve. It's going to serve sin or it's going to serve righteousness, Paul said. Right? So the realities that we throw around the word free will like it's an autonomous thing that we, that it's, it's somehow it's neutral. Right? Here's what, here's what we miss when we argue that God can't act on our will. Like God can't impose himself on our will. We miss the fact that at this very moment, sin is acting upon our will right now. It is. There's no way to escape it. We're fallen creatures inheriting a fallen nature. Amen. So sin is at the door, crouched down, moving against us all the time. Against our will, against our, our, our uh, emotions, against everything in us. Sin is acting upon us. And then we go, well, God can't act upon my will. So God can't act upon your will, but sin can. So now sin's greater than God. That doesn't make any sense, does it? No. We got to see things as they truly are. Men do have a free moral agency. They have the capacity to choose to do this or that. Amen? Good or evil. That's the only reason that Joshua makes the plea. Choose ye this day whom you will serve, right? If, if it was totally outside of the possibility for them to say, I'm going to serve God, then he wouldn't even have gave them the choice. Okay? But we also understand that people are bound by one thing or the other. Amen? James, no man can say when he sins that he's tempted of God. He's tempted when? When he's drawn away by his own lusts, right? And that's the, that's the reality of all human beings in truth 
unless God were to intervene, we would all die sinful creatures who are bound in sin, dead in trespasses, and otherwise unable to save ourselves. That's the truth. Without God intervening. Amen? Well, the, the reality is they're not, it's not a one or the other thing. Both things are true. We have free agent. We have free moral agency. We have free will. Amen? Lot exercised his free will and went towards Sodom, right? That's what happened. God didn't make him. Abram didn't make him, right? He had a choice, and he made a choice. That's it, it, For me to go, no, he didn't make that choice, that would be dumb, right? He made a choice. But his choice, just like Abram's choice, doesn't override God's plan. And it will not thwart what God ultimately wants to happen. Amen? That's what we're saying. Now, in my opinion, the wording of this note, when it says, When Abram gave part of Canaan to Lot in the land for peace deal, it threatened to undo God's earlier promise to Abram. Now, me personally, I don't think it ever threatened anything. Okay? It might have look like it to Abram. It may look like it to the people reading the story. Amen. But God never for one minute went, oh no, oh no, if I don't do something, it's all over. God did not do that, okay? So I, I think they're putting a little more, too much emphasis here on this, this threaten to overdo the, or overturn God's plan, okay? Now, they kind of make up for it with the next sentence where they say, but God's promises could not be thwarted by Abraham's actions. In spite of Abraham's commitment to Lot, the Lord himself would give Abram all the land that he could see in every direction. What is more, Canaan would also belong to Abram's seed forever. And that's something that I didn't really notice ever reading this chapter that the promise that he said it's forever okay I'm giving you this land forever amen what does forever mean well it means forever <laughs> amen <laughs> yeah it's a perpetual thing right now uh, lots offspring would not be left landless, however. His sons, Moab and Ben Ami, uh, Ben Ami, uh, Genesis 19, 37-38, would become the founders of Moab and Ammon, nations east of the land of uh, the land promised to Abram. Now I want to I think I have a map here in the back of my Bible. I want to just tell you where this land of Moab is, okay? Just in case you're like, where's that at? Where's Moab? Well, Moab, is it this Bible or is it the other Bible? I can't remember. Never, okay, here we go. Moab is all of the regions south and east 
of the Dead Sea in the vicinity of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And Ammon is north and east on the east side of the Jordan River, and it is past the land of Israel. Uh, oh, let me try to piece this together for you in your mind. Uh, it is, let's see, I'm going to try to describe this. It is north of Moab, but there's a piece of Israel in between Ammon and Moab. And Ammon is actually farther east than Moab is, okay? But where did we talk about uh, Lot going when he left? It wasn't like he just walked straight over to Sodom and Gomorrah because where they were, where they were, there's the Dead Sea's in between them. Amen? The Dead Sea's in between Sodom and Gomorrah and where they're at. The Dead Sea's in between them. So they had to go over and down. Lot had to have went over and down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? Now, the text is still accurate because it says east, right? Now, are you looking at a map right now? Are you seeing what I'm saying? So he goes and pitches his tent in Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abram stays on this side of the river, the land of Canaan, the land of promise to him, amen, and outside of that, even when, when they come back from, from Egypt, they come to the Jordan River and they have to cross into the land of Canaan, amen, they had they to take the ark and everything with them, remember? Water stops and every Jordan River stops, all that stuff. Remember, this was interesting to me because we had talked about where Lot went, and it's even after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's lineage still lives in that same vicinity where he chose. Okay, I think it bears in mind that all of the patriarchs' choices had ramifications to their progeny. You know what I mean? The reality is even Abraham's choices have consequences. Hence, Hagar and then Ishmael, and then there's a consequence there because Ishmael and Isaac are warring all the time, right? The rest of their life, all the time. Um, think about Jacob, uh, the decisions that he made that had ramifications. Think about Noah making that, you know, getting that vineyard going and then falling asleep naked in his tent, right? It had consequences. Wasn't consequences necessarily for him, but it was for his grandchildren and their children and their children, right? They became Canaan, and consequently, the land of promise is in Canaan, amen, and Israel, who's from the line of Seth, 
comes in and takes over all of Canaan, right? Canaan's servants to them all, just like the prophecy said, and, and, uh, oh my gosh, what's the other brother's name? I can't, huh? Japheth. Japheth and his progeny lived in the tents of Shan. Amen? God's promises never fail, ever. Amen? Uh, I just wanted to pull those quick notes out of there. Uh, the ESV had a note in it on this that was actually pretty good that made me think of something else. And when I went and studied it, it was intriguing to me as well. But uh, it, it has a longer section. It's uh, verse 14 through 17. It says this divine speech emphasizes not only the extent of the land of Abram's descendants will inherit, but also how numerous they will be as the dust of the earth is one of three similes used by God to il illustrate a large number of offspring for Abram and that he will have. At this stage, Abram is 75 years old and has no children. 75 years old and God's telling him, you're going to have so many kids, nobody can number them, right? Can you imagine somebody telling you that when you're 75? You're like, yeah, right. Okay, I'm like, but Abram believed God. Amen? Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm 75, if I feel like God's saying, hey, you're going to have all kinds of kids, Carmen's going to say, oh, no, we got to have a talk here first, right? And then I might be going, God, you know I'm 75, right? But that's where faith comes in, right? Because so, what did we talk about this morning? We get stuck in the natural, right? We go, hold on a minute, God. Where, what is, who, who brought Jesus this food, right? They were stuck in the natural. And we'll do the same thing if we're 75 and somebody said, God said, hey, you're going to have kids so numerous that nobody can count. It's going to be like the dust of the earth. Nobody can count it, right? And you're like, yeah, I believe that. That guy had faith. Amen? Because I'm not sure that you or I, now I'm not speaking for you because I don't want to, but I'm pretty sure when I'm 75, I'm, I don't know that I would be, yeah, Lord, that's going to happen, right? I, I might have to be like I'm from Missouri. You're going to have to show me. <laughs> Amen? Now, something else that, I, uh, that they noted here. God uses three different similes to talk about Abram's, the, the, how many children he's going to have, okay? Now, I want to go look at the other two, okay? So flip over to Genesis 15 and verse 5. Genesis 15, verse 5. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards the heavens. And tell the stars, if thou be able to number them, and he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. So now his seed isn't just like the dust of the earth, which is, you know, 
impossible for us to count the dust of the earth. Now, it, sand is one thing, dust. Now, we couldn't count all the sand on the earth, but dust is even smaller than sand, right? We got to understand that dust makes up almost everything, right? Where dust is everywhere. And to be able to count it is impossible. It's no different than trying to count the stars. Amen? Now, there's people out there trying to count stars, and they, they pull up a mathematical equation about how many stars they think is out there. But they don't know. Why? Because the stars are so vast that they cannot count them. Amen? Yeah, you can't even see all of them. All right, let's go to the third one. And this is all the way in Genesis 22. So we're skipping ahead quite a bit here. Genesis 22, verse, wow, I flipped way past it. Verse 17 when I get there. I just thought this was interesting because I had never really looked up all the different ways that God promised uh, Abraham his seed would be. But this was interesting when I did look it up. Now, verse 17. In that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven... And as the sand which is on the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now, this is very interesting because there's a twofold use of the word seed here, okay? <clears throat> on the one hand, when you hear him say, and in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed, we understand this to be a multitude of children or progeny, people that are coming after him, right? And as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, now here, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemy. Now we're going to the singular, right? Now we're getting a twofold meaning of the word seed. Number one, the first use is that his seed is going to be multiplied like the stars of the heavens and the sand of the seashore, right? Then he says, and your seed, singular, Christ, this is the picture of Christ as the seed, amen, the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3. Now we have the seed here again. Amen. And this seed is promised to possess the gates of his enemy. Now I don't know if you understand this or not. But the Bible says because we're in Christ. Jesus said I've got to build my church. Which what? The gates of hell will not prevail against. What does that mean? That means the heirs that are with Christ possess, have power, dominion over those gates. Amen. Why? Because the seed has possessed the gate. 
of his enemies. Amen? That's what we're seeing here. Very interesting when I looked this up, okay? I didn't think I would find that. I, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to find three different ways that, the, that he's describing this seed. But in the middle of looking for it, all of a sudden this singular seed, because I want you to notice the wording here. At the end, it says, and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemy. And he uses the word his in the singular masculine noun, okay? Right. Yes. Paul tells us that the singular seed is Christ. Amen. And that's what we need to understand here. I just thought that was really interesting when I'm studying this and God's giving this promise to Abram. All right. Uh, verse 16. I have a little note here I want to read. Uh, in addition to the land, the Lord promised Abraham, uh, promised Abraham seed too numerous to be numbered. Since Abraham was more than 75 years old and still childless at the time, the Lord spoke these words. This divine pledge was particularly amazing. And I was like the way that they said it was particularly amazing because that's what I would think. Amen? I would think it was particularly amazing. Now, I don't know if the word amazing would come to my mind if I'm 75 years old and I'm getting promised I'm going to have children so numerous that I couldn't, they couldn't be counted, okay? Because here's the thing. I'm 41, uh, 42 now, 42 now. I only have four kids, and I can't hardly deal with all of them, okay? And Carmen can't deal with all the five that she has, right? Four kids and me. <laughs> and at 75 years old, can you imagine being seven? First of all, Abram was how old when Isaac's born? 100 years old. A hundred, Okay? If you have a kid when you're 100, you're thinking, man, I'm not going to see this kid's first birthday or something, you know? I mean, you couldn't possibly be going, yeah, I've got a long life. I'll raise this kid. Surely Abram's going, I need to get some good people around me that will help teach this kid because I ain't going to be here long. Amen. Well, can you imagine? Huh? He was 175 when he died, so he was able to raise him up and everything. I understand all that. I'm just talking about the way I would be thinking at 100 years old, okay? I'd be freaking out. Second of all, Carmen would really, really be freaking out, okay? Because there, there would have to be a Holy Ghost miracle happen in her womb right now for a child to be born, okay? Like... Uh, uh, untying of things and unstitching of that, this and that, okay? Or it wouldn't happen. Amen? Carmen's like, can you quit now? <laughs> now, another moment of uh, another moment of obedience confronts Abram here. Uh, before I get to that, I had one more note that I wanted to read and I kind of forgot. Uh, but I'll, I'll leave it alone. Verse 17. Arise and walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it to thee. 
Now, God, time and time again, gives Abram command to do something, right? This is lessons for Hebrew people, okay? And it should be lessons for Christian people, amen? When God commands, you do, right? The reality that this is so complicated that, oh, oh you know, I'm just so, so sinful. I just, yes, but... Christ died for your sins. He didn't die just to, to forgive your sins. He also died to give you power over sin. That's what Paul says, right? Now, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like we're going to have this, you know, uh, 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 you know, super sanctified, getting totally sanctified on earth where we're perfect on earth, okay? I'm not, I'm not ever going to preach anything like that, but... There ought to be a growth in our walk with God where when we were first saved, we only obeyed a little bit. And by the time we hit the dirt and are going out in the casket, they ought to be able to say, man, that guy followed God. Amen. They ought to be able to say, man, that woman followed God. Amen. We ought to have a growth there where by the time we're done with this life, we can say in the words of Paul, I have, I have ran a good race. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Amen. Now I understand there's still going to be a warring in your members. That's never going away. Amen. There's still a war in there. Now, you may get victory in all kinds of areas, okay? And you may be way way better off than you were at the start but there's still going to be battles in your flesh even when you're old even when you're and the, I, I'm noticing in me it's much harder for me to not be impatient or upset over things when I think people ought to know them right and I have to work on that. I have to fight that feeling of, oh, they just don't get it yet, right? We all do that. That battle is not one that I don't think that I'm ever. I know elderly saints who still fight that battle. Amen? It's just hard. There's things that you're going to be fighting with until you're done. Amen? But you got to keep fighting. Amen? That's the point. You can't quit. That's the whole idea. Amen? And this ought to be a learning lesson for us to, to take Abraham's lesson. God gives him instruction, and then Abram goes and does the instruction. Amen? Do you want to learn how to grow your faith? The Bible says faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Amen? So, you have to pick a Bible up. Or hear somebody preaching and be in your Bible. You got to know the Word of God. Amen. People go, Oh, my faith. I just don't have any faith, Pastor. Read your Bible. If you still don't think you got any more faith, pray and read your Bible. Beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what the Bible says? That's what it says, right? So, if reading your Bible isn't helping, 
pray. Amen. You're supposed to exercise your faith. Amen. Faith is faith is not something that you just get and and it just grows by osmosis. You have to work on things. How do I how do I learn to trust God through things? Well, I start practicing trusting God. Amen. I go, okay, God, I'm trusting you with this. Okay, God, I'm trusting you with that. And then pretty soon you're going to just trust God with things. Amen? And it's not going to happen like overnight. Right? Like you don't go from Zacchaeus to Christ, or, you know, to, to, to Apostle Paul all in one night. You know what I mean? It just doesn't happen. The Apostle Paul didn't do that. Amen? He had all the learning in the whole world for a Jew and still didn't know Christ. And then when he met him, Christ took him off into the wilderness for how long? Huh? I, I thought it was three years. I'll have to look it up. Make sure. It's in Galatians. Pretty sure. You ought to be reading through it. Uh, one more note and we'll close. <clears throat> King James Study Bible. Perhaps as a test to Abram's faith, the Lord issued two commands. With them came a reaffirmation of the promise first uttered when Abram arrived in the promised land in Genesis 12 and 7. Immediately after God's command to walk through the whole land, Abram dwelt in the plain of Mamre, and a site about two miles north of Hebron. Hebron became the primary residence of Abram later, his son Isaac also, on the plain in Mamre. This, uh, this note where they say that Abram's faith it, this perhaps was a test of God. God gives him two commands. I think this is exactly what it is. Amen. God doesn't just test Abram once or twice. You know what I mean? God, every time God gives Abram a command, it's a test. And then it leads up to the ultimate test, right? Because uh, first of all, he, he, he's willing to give his son, right? Now, can somebody tell me if Abram was circumcised before Isaac's birth or after? Was it after? Let's look it up real quick. Was it three years? Okay. He's like, he's like, Mike beat me to it. Pretty soon it's going to be like me and Mike trying to fight over who's paying the tab. No, I got the verse. No, I got the verse. Let's go look at this. Uh, uh, well, I'm looking for where Abram gets uh, circumcised. Because I thought he was 99 when he got circumcised. Yeah, it's right here in verse uh, 23 of chapter 17. 
And Abraham took Ishmael his son and all that were born in his house and all that were brought uh, bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's house, and circumcised their flesh, their foreskin, in the same self, uh, self same day as God had said it unto him. Abram was ninety nine, or Abram was ninety years old and nine, so he's ninety nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh. So God had even given him already circumcision. Amen. Before Isaac was even born. Amen. So God's testing. God's requirements of Abram being tested. And proving his fidelity to God. All culminate. When Abram is willing to give Isaac as sacrifice. Amen. That's his. That's the apex of God saying. And if you'll remember the words when he does that. God says, uh, the angel says, uh, stay your hand, don't hurt the boy, for now I know that thou art truly. I can't remember the way he says it now, I gotta go find it. I hate that. When he was sacrificing him. Something like that. I just don't want to mess it up, okay? Let's let's find it, because it's not it's not that hard to find, right? Like most most Bibles, it's not that hard to find. Isaac to be offered as a sacrifice. Here we go. Verse chapter twenty-two. Mm -hmm. For now I know that you God, right? So this has all been a test this whole time to test what I say that's funny, okay? Mike's smiling like crazy. <laughs> Mamre, 
okay, in Hebron. They're quite a ways away from each other. Probably way more than 50 miles. I just don't know. You look at a map, you see Shechem right here and Hebron way down here. You go, can't be in the same place. Amen? But obviously they both meet, meant something and or were used as road markers. You know, like, hey, go down to the greenhouse, take a left at the big black oak tree, right? <laughs> uh, lastly, I wanted to note that again, Abram builds an altar. This is the third altar that Abram builds, okay? He builds an altar in 12.7, he builds an altar in 12.8, and now here in 13.18, he builds his third altar. And there's actually only four altars that we know of that Abram personally erected for the Lord, okay? Uh, there were other times when God spoke to him. Uh, I can't say, uh, yeah, 22 was when he built the altar for the sacrifice for Isaac, right? So we're, we're went a long time, apparently, in Abram's life between this altar and the next altar. Amen? But that doesn't mean he didn't talk to God or worship God or even give sacrifice to God in that time frame. I'm not going to extrapolate that from that. Amen? Uh, but by him building the altar, we see a continuation of Abram showing his fidelity to God and showing his honoring of God we also see in this story that God continued to reestablish, reaffirm his covenant with Abram. And this time, what I want you to realize is he kind of added to it because before he said he's going to make his seed great, okay? He didn't say he's going to make them so numerous that nobody could count them, right? He just said, I'm going to make your seed great. And here he kind of adds to the promise, right? Now, the promise that he gave before in chapter 12, where he was at Ai and Bethel, or right there in between Shechem at the Oaks of uh, Moriah, he said, I'll give you this land. Here, he expands that even farther, and it's interesting that after he's willing to give Lot a portion of the land, that God tells him, not only am I going to give you the land, up, but I want you to lift up your eyes and look to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, and everything you can see, I'm giving you that. It's like it went from just the little land of Canaan to all of that you can see. And it, I think it goes back to the fact that Abram and his uh, character was giving and loving and wanted to look out for Lot, right? The Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. Now that's not money, but it's Abram was willing to, to part with part of the land of promise just to keep Lot and he in relationship because him and Lot were family, right? And God saw Abram's heart in this and said, not only am I giving you the land, but I'm giving you everything you can see. Not only am I blessing your seed, but I'm going to make your seed so great, it's going to be like the dust of the earth. You can't even count it. Amen? And this is after he's already promised Lot, you just, you just make a choice, go wherever you want to, right? 
And it just seems to me that God always, when you're willing and your heart is to give to other people and your heart is to do for other people, God does bless that. Amen. God adds abundantly. Give and it shall be given unto you. Not talking about money. He's talking about the heart of giving. Amen. doesn't matter what you give. You can give your time. You can give your money. You can give your energy. You can give your uh, love. You can give compassion. You can. Amen. Jesus, when he comes back, says, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me a drink. When I was or when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was sick and in prison, you visited me. When did I when did I do these things unto you, Lord? When you've done it to the least of these. And the heart behind that is not to get something. The heart behind it is I'm doing it because this is who I am. And I want to help. I want to give. I want to do. And that's Abram's heart. And God blesses him even more for it. Amen. That's what I saw in there. Just my closing remarks. Amen. We need to be vigilant to be like Abram. To have that heart that we want to help. That other people, what other people's welfare is our concern. We're going to find out in the next chapter as Lot is trapped in the place that he chose. Amen. He chose that place and he was trapped there. Taken prisoner taken captive and Abram in this instance is going to be a kind of a type and a shadow of Christ coming in to bring uh, salvation, rescue even from Lot's own bad decision amen what do you got Mike impossible to count, right? No, you're right. I, it may say numbered. Uh, it, does it say if, if you could number the dust of the earth? That's exactly what it says. Yeah. Yep. You're right. You're right. <laughs> well, God has a number that big. We sure don't. That's why it's interesting it says that if a man could number it, right? Because God could number it. Let's not make a mistake and think God couldn't number it. Amen. If a man could number it. Amen. If it was fathomable for a man, to, for his mind to go to that number, that's how great your seed would be. Amen. Let's stand. We'll pray. Father God, we thank you for these lessons that we learn, Lord. We thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for teaching us and exhorting us and encouraging us. Lord, this story with Abram is very encouraging to me. Not only to understand that I am the, I am heirs to the seed of promise who is Christ, that I am a part of that number that could not be counted, Lord. Lord, not only that, but to, the, to, to discern and understand the, the trials and the obedience and the heart of Abram in following you, God, we want to be like that. 
Lord, we know that Abram is not the hero in this story, but you are. But surely we all fall utterly short of the obedience that we read that Abram had. And we pray, God, that you would give us strength. Give us and empower us by your spirit the ability to be that obedient. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.